Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is August the 21st, 2023, the dog days, the dark days of summer, particularly out here in California, where the state is being submerged in a unusual first off storm um it's been a stormy summer one way or the other culturally politically it's been of course the summer of barbie we've done lots of shows on barbie one with olivia rettigliano the film critic of lit hub who is a big admirer i think of, of greta garwig's uh, greta gerwig not garwig greta gerwig's barbie thinking it fascinating spectacular philosophical experiment not so much uh i think uh of feminism but of sympathy perhaps for women whereas another guest i had on the show um uh celeste marcus believed that uh, greta gerwig's barbie is cynical and vapid uh, last week i had uh, rettigliano back to talk about uh, Jean-Luc Godard's 1963 movie, uh, Contempt, another film in some ways about women, a film about female beauty featuring one of the, gr the most iconic of all uh, 20th century European beauties, uh, Brigitte Bardot. The film was sold around Bardot, maybe famously, uh, maybe fairly, maybe not. Um, and uh, Bardot looks uncomfortably, weirdly, surreally similar, I think, to uh, Margot Ro uh, uh, Robbie in, uh, in, in, in uh, Barbie. So I thought it would be an interesting opportunity to have Celeste Marcus back on the show to talk not so much about Barbie, but female beauty. I know she is a, a big fan of uh, Godot's Contempt. She's interested in the idea of beauty, and she's been reading a couple of interesting articles on female beauty, including Unnatural Gifts by Becca Rothfeld. Uh, Celeste, welcome back. Uh, you. you are the managing editor of Liberties, who are our sponsor, although there may not be a relation between those. You didn't pay to be on, Celeste. You're on on your own right. Um, tell me a little bit about... The similarities you've drawn between Bardo in Contempt and uh, Barbie—are there connections? I actually think of them as—I think of Bardo and Margot Robbie as representing two very different typologies of female beauty. Um, I think that they are both striking in strikingly different ways. Bardot is what um, the French call jolie laide, which means beautiful ugly. I mean, her, her actual face is not beautiful. Um, I know that that picture isn't making that a convincing argument, but like if you actually look at her, the way that she looks, like her face, there's something almost aggressively ugly about it. And you see that in Contempt. I think I find Contempt a very interesting movie. I don't know if I would say that it's a good movie, but well, it, it is a good movie, but it is, it provokes me more than I just admire it. And the beauty in contempt is febrile, um, very provocative. Bardot's beauty 
is supposed to be provocative. That's kind of the subject of the movie is the way that she inflames people, which is kind of the opposite of what Barbie's beauty or Margot Robbie's beauty is doing in the movie Barbie. The movie Barbie is sexless by, by design. um, All of the, all of the men who are key players in the movie are, they cannot be a threat to women sexually because they're neutered and Barbie can't be threatened sexually. I mean, except for, except for in the real world, but in Barbie land, she can't be threatened sexually. I mean, one of the reasons that I find Barbie, the movie, a difficult work, um, if it's, if it pretends to be a work of feminism is because Gerwig cut out the primal threat to women that women have always faced. I mean, you can't have a serious conversation about feminism if you've completely removed from the equation the threat of um, male appetite, which is what contempt is about. Contempt is about a woman whose beauty is intensely provocative in a way that invites violence. Um, I mean, Godard, obviously, he he always he loves to like kill everybody at the end of his movies, but it's not that the, the crescendo at the end of her being murdered or her being killed violently in the car crash, um, sorry, not murdered, is consistent with the tone of the movie, which is telling you that this kind of provocation, this kind of femininity can be very dangerous for women. And Barbie and um, Margot Robbie are insulated from that kind of violence in, um, in the film. And I just think that, I, I mean, I think I'm, I'm, I'm interested in what beauty does to women generally, like how, how it can affect the way that they move through the world. But I'm also just interested in, in these two very different types of beauty. One is a kind of um, like a physical purity. It's, it's features that are aesthetically just objectively gorgeous that has nothing to do with the aura of the person and the beauty that um, Bridget Bardot has, which is very much about the way that she holds herself. It's about her relationship with her body. If, if Bridget Bardot looked the way she looked, but didn't style herself the way she styles herself and didn't hold her body the way that she does or move it the way that she does, she would have a very different impact when she walked in a room. I mean, this is, this is very obvious just watching a clip of her in a movie. Um, you see that there's a kind of electricity that emanates from her and it's not clear always whether or not she's in control of that. But the reason that I, I sent Andrew, I sent you, um, two different pieces, one by Becca Rothfeld and another one by a really excellent writer named Rachel Connolly. Both of, both of these women happen to have written Four Liberties. They're both brilliant writers um, and I admire them a lot. And they both happened to write recently about female beauty um, and at a time when I was thinking about these themes. And Becca's piece in, in The Point is about a woman that she becomes obsessed with, Becca becomes obsessed with because she is beautiful, but her beauty is not detectable in a photo. You would have to see her in a room and see how she styles herself and the way that she holds herself and the way that she, her, how her charisma works on the people around her. Um, and the piece is really a meditation on 
the cultivation of beauty, the cultivation of an aura which is beautiful and captivating, which is very different. Like if Margot Robbie looked the way she looked and had absolutely no kind of charismatic um, aura, you would still turn to look at her because she's just objectively like perfect looking. And there are people like this. There are people who are um, have their beauty kind of thrust upon them. Uh, who are just born with it. And there are people who are born with it who would rather not have it. And the reason that I think about these two pieces together is because Rachel Connolly's Substack was about, it, it was about a piece that she had been intending to write, which was about how being beautiful affects the way that women exist in the world. And what she was really talking about is women who are beautiful but don't intend to be like not not the becca um bardot typology but the margot robbie typology which is like women who find that they're treated in a way that they don't mean to invite um simply because of the way that they looked and she what she did for this piece for for like field research was go and talk to the women in her life that she knows who are very beautiful and she just like had the kind of conversation that women don't often get to have um, because you're not really supposed to tell people when you think that they're really beautiful. It's like kind of a weird thing to do. Um, And also a weird thing for them to acknowledge. Like if you tell, you tell a friend of yours that you think that they're very beautiful, um, they're supposed to be like, Oh, like stop it. But Rachel wanted to talk to them about what it is like to deal with the kind of attention or the kind of jealousies um, that, are thrown at you if you look a certain way. And so I just find this really interesting. These yeah, people. it's interesting. And I can't even remember the beginning of Barbie. The whole thing seemed to be the same movie, played time after time after time. Whereas, of course, we can remember the beginning of Contempt. Which One is never a, forgets. A, yeah, a hyper-erotic, perhaps even pornographic introduction to Bardot talking about her own body and being stretched out and inviting the audience and her lover to appreciate the various parts of her body. Right. Um, it is, um, should we separate sensuality, eroticism from beauty? Are they the same things, uh, Celeste? I think that that's a good way of distinguishing between these two different types of beauties. Although, I mean, there are women who are sensual, but not on purpose. Um and there are women who are erotic, but not on purpose. But yeah, I think that that, like, I would definitely characterize Bardot in Contempt as hyper-erotic and sensual, and Margot Robbie in Barbie as um, practically neutered. I mean, literally neutered. Well, she has the, she has a, her body washed out on her. What does that suggest, given the popularity of Barbie in contemporary feminism? Does it, is it a warning flag, do you think? I mean, this was the thing about the movie that I found the most troubling from a feminist perspective. It really did disturb me that so many women could be satisfied with a feminism that didn't deal with the very serious problem that we face. I mean, it really, it it would be so easy if, if the, the struggle that women have could be divorced entirely from the kind of primal appetite that men have. I mean, setting aside the fact that women have their own appetites, which of course they do, we are like 
sociologically, historically, primarily the objects of desire, not the ones with desire. And that is a problem for women that will is like intractable. It will never be, we can't, we can't escape that problem. And really for feminism, it lies at the heart of everything else that we're fighting for. Um, because the urge to conquer women is so primal. There has never been a society that wasn't built, premised upon that appetite that didn't have it kind of as a, as a sine qua non of the existence of the culture that women would be subjugated beneath the appetites of men. And I find it so confusing that in an age when, you know, it shouldn't be Ken, it should be Kavanaugh. That should be the problem that we're facing. We shouldn't be, we shouldn't be making the problem so insignificant that it's just as, it's as, as unthreatening as like, Ken in a pink top, like right. Well, Ken, Ken is right, and previous societies have dealt with this. Ken is, of course, the eunuch, um, who isn't yeah. in any way a threat. The 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 Ottomans dealt with eunuchs in a, in an interesting way. They created a political class out of them, but not mm. all men were eunuchs. The troubling thing about Barbie, of course, is all the men are eunuchs. Whereas the reverse is true in Godard's Contempt. All, exactly. the, all the men are monsters. They're all warriors. They all, they all want well, to go to bed, so to speak, with uh, Brigitte Bardot. Even, even Fritz Lang in his own weird kind of way. But Michel Piccoli, like the, the point of the movie is that Michel Piccoli is not enough of, of, of a ferocious male monster for Bardot to stay with him. The point of the movie is that he fails as a man because he isn't aggressive enough. And then she leaves him. I mean, he's the only non-monster and he's punished for it. Well, he's pathetic, though. He walks around in his hat topless. He's a bit of a loser, isn't he? No, he's totally a loser. That's the problem. She wants him. I mean, he's the, the like, the high point of his loserdom is that he is willing to let her go. I mean, he's being cuckolded in front, like, like with his consent in front of him. And she's disgusted by this. She wants him to fight for her and yeah. he won't do it. And like, you know, this is what women have always been taught a real man is. Michel Piccoli is like the anti-man. He's the castrated man. Um, yeah, he is not- the eunuch. He's the can of the movie. He's being, yeah, he's cast, he's, he's being castrated. And like, that's supposed to be, he's, if he were actually a eunuch, at least he wouldn't be failing at what is expected of him, but he is actually a man. And so he shouldn't be behaving like a eunuch. Well, implicitly, I think the suggestion in the movie is that he is failing on that front too. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So coming back to the Rothschild, the Rothschild piece, I was interested, I mean, you're, you're the editor of uh, Liberties, which uh, I'm a big fan of. Uh, the uh, a quarterly of liberal discourse, I guess, in a classical sense. I wonder whether her essay is a kind of liberal conception of beauty. Um, she suggests that timid repetitions of the going moors have nothing to do with beauty and its daring. She suggests that beauty is being different in a kind of maybe the way John Stuart Mill might define beauty. Is there a, is there a liberal conception of beauty, Celeste, which uh, uh, Rothfeld is articulating? Uh, I think that Becca would probably say that there is. 
Um, I wish that she was here to answer this question. She, I think she would probably disagree. Well, we'll have to get her on the show. She hasn't, has she okay. been in Liberties? Yeah, yeah, she's been in Liberties. Um, she has well, been. Well, you want her to. What about your opinion? Because you're oh. the one who, who cited this piece. Yes. I mean, I agree with her. I agree with her that the kind of beauty that she's describing is more interesting than. Um, the standard issue, you know, Barbie type. I don't think that liberalism prescribes a certain conception of beauty. Um, I actually think that one of liberalism's virtues is that it is it constrains itself so that it doesn't um, it it doesn't prescribe more than it absolutely has to. Um, what I would say is, I guess, in this this might. It, you could interpret this as being consistent with def Becca's definition. Liberalism will protect the rights of individuals to express themselves as they wish, like as assuming that they're not hurting anybody or like as assuming that all other individual rights are protected, which means that people should be permitted to cultivate their own beauties as they see fit. Um, and then they shouldn't be, you know, like drag shows should be protected under a liberal, under a liberal. That's not, I mean, that's the sort of, the hyper-liberalism of our own age, I think one that you're not, or your magazine at least, isn't particularly crazy about, uh, a world in which everyone's beautiful, or we can argue everyone's beauty. Every, everyone has their saying. own beauty of one kind or another. That's not what I'm describing. What I'm saying is that everybody, I mean, everybody should be free to cultivate their own beauty. So there shouldn't be a standard issue conception of beauty and that other kinds of, other kinds of expressions of beautification um, should be permitted. So um, a person should be protected when expressing the beauty that they would like to cultivate or when cultivating that kind of beauty um, and shouldn't be punished for departing from certain societal norms. And liberalism is, li liberalism is responsible for protecting individuals when they seek to do that, um, which is not the same thing remotely as saying that everybody is beautiful. Do you think liberals have a particular problem with beauty in the sense that not everyone can be born as Brigitte Bardot, although you've noted that maybe she isn't conventionally beautiful. Not everyone can be born as Marg looking like Margot Robbie and she didn't deserve it. She just got given it for one reason or another, whereas the foundations of liberalism is rooted in self-creation, self-invention. And we, I guess it maybe with biotech these days we can recreate ourselves physically as well as intellectually and emotionally but uh, we, we we get what we're given with beauty in a sense i don't agree with that at all i mean that's why i say that i think that becca's definition of beauty is more interesting and probably i find it more captivating um baudelaire has an essay on makeup about how conventional beauty or just natural beauty is actually less virtuous than beauty that is cultivated. And I agree with him. Um, I, look, Lionel Trilling went out of his way to try and say that, that liberalism does have aesthetic value. I don't think that liberalism, I don't agree with him. I mean, except insofar as I think that different kinds of beauties and different expressions of beauty flourish best in a society in which self-expression is protected. So in that sense, I do think that liberalism is consistent with a robust um, and gorgeous 
cultural tradition um, and that good culture and beautiful culture and variegated culture can flourish best in a liberal society. Um, but that's because of the freedoms it allows, not because of anything that it prescribes. Um, so I don't think, I don't think that people accept that. I don't think that people are only born with the physical features that they're given. I do think that there are people, many people who don't have um, the impulse to cultivate beauty in themselves. And that is also a kind of... Um, but do you agree with Auden that we get, I think he said, we get the faces at 50 that we deserve. We just did a show on Orwell. Orwell looks like Orwell, for better or worse. I'm not quite sure why or how. What do you mean? Do well, I Auden said we get the faces of, at 50 that we deserve. Is that true? I mean, you're, you're not 50. You've still got a long way to go. But to I, most 50-year-olds, I, I mean, does Leon look like he should look? Does he get what he deserves? Don't ask me that question about my boss. <laughs> He's not your boss, is he? Yeah, of course. Uh, well, he wouldn't mind. Oh, I love that you had a meeting with us and you think he's not my boss. That's you, I, I, I got the impression you were his boss, but that's another way. We shouldn't he be talking it. about this publicly. <laughs> he's going to be pissed when he sees this. No, no, no. Leon's my teacher. Don't we get the faces we deserve at 50 or 60, Celeste? I think it depends on the person. I think that a lot of effort has to go into... Um, like embalming yourself after a certain after a certain age and that requires a good deal of money um i do think that there are people who want to um continue to be beautiful after a certain age and the effort is like if they want to do that it requires far more effort but it depends what they want to look like do they want to look like uh margot robbie barbie or do they want to look like bridget bardot those are quite different sorts of notions of beauty or do they want to look like orwell i mean there are plenty of there are plenty yeah. of people who don't care or who don't it's not an important expression of who they are Be becca uh, rothfield in her piece uh talked about and I, I agree it was a really interesting piece um the yeah. the the ideal of ugliness uh and the notion of socrates and i guess nietzsche's warning of idealizing suffering when i think of uh, olivia rattagliano's read of Barbie, the beauty she saw was in the suffering of the real women. Can suffering be represented as beauty or is that a, a Christian conceit, one that we should try and avoid? I think it really depends on the, I think it depends on the person. Um, and I think that it is a very high order to have suffering be beautiful. Although that's the foundations of certainly of Christian art and of the whole Christian enterprise, isn't it? I'm so not an authority on the whole Christian enterprise. I mean, I am thinking about, I think when I'm, when I think about Christian art, I think the exploration of pain and the beautification of pain mm. has been an essential yeah. human activity. And, um, and that, I guess, was Olivia's point the, the yeah. pain in barbie the pain of the mother and the daughter for her and i got to be careful putting words in her mouth but i think she saw them as as a sort of manifestation of a certain kind of beauty uh-huh i i can see i can see that i mean i've certainly been deeply moved by works of art that are about human pain and moved specifically by their beauty um there's a show right now at the National Gallery of Art in DC, not in London, of um, 
Canova's clay sketches and his he has several biblical scenes that were later converted into marble sculptures marble statues but um we like the gallery has just the the models that he was using to work out how he was going to do the scene and um there's one that I spent a lot of time looking at because actually Leon had gone to the show and noticed it and told me to go. Um, it's, it's a sculpture. It's a sketch, clay sketch of Adam and Eve after they found Cain dead. And no, Abel dead. I'm sorry. Abel dead, which is the first time that a human being died. And as Leon pointed out to me and it was, it was not, I had, I had actually gone to the show already, but I hadn't thought about this. So I went back to look at it. It was the first time that human beings mourned. There was no tradition for mourning yet because these were the first people. Mm. And the very first person who died was mourned by his parents, which is fascinating to think about. And her pain and his pain are, you, you look at it and you spend time looking at her. Canova imagined this scene because it's not in the Bible. It's not in the Tanakh. There's no, there's no part of the text where we hear about Adam and Chava finding the, um, Adam and Eve. I learned it in the Hebrew tradition. So sorry, Adam and Eve finding the body. Um, it must've happened, but it's not described. It's not told to us. And the commentators don't talk about it because it's not in the text. So he imagined all of this. It was like really incredible human capacity to imagine a kind of pain. And I was so moved by the way that he formed these bodies, the way that they're contorted in pain. Um, and it certainly was this incredible juxtaposition of beauty and tragedy. So I think that that, not, not tragedy itself, because it really is cruel to expect of human beings that their pain be beautiful, but the choice of an artist to consider pain and to try to force an expression of pain into something that is beautiful is a juxtaposition that runs through the annals of art history and that have always fascinated artists. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that your friend would say that there is such an expression in the movie Barbie. Um, I just want to say that I am not comparing Greta Gerwig to Canova. No, I don't think you would do that. Uh, let's move on briefly to uh, the second piece that particularly intrigued me, Beautiful Women by um, Rachel Connolly, who has a piece in the latest issue. I want to get her on the show. She's an Irish woman based in London. What's so funny, which sounds very funny, um, a critique of our inability to laugh these days. This piece seems to me, um, Celeste, to be about how women in particular treat beauty, particularly other beautiful women. Is that, do women think of beauty differently from men or is that too simplistic? I mean, I've never been a man, but uh, I do think that women think about one another's beauty in a way that men certainly don't think about women's beauty. Um, even men who are not attracted to women don't, I don't think, relate to women and their beauty in the way that women relate to other women and their beauty. Um, it definitely is, it was interesting, it was interesting, like, listening in on the conversations that Rachel describes, um, because they are the kinds of conversations that it's difficult to have with the people that you love and the people that you care about. It's weird to ask 
beautiful women in your life? Like, what is it like to be beautiful? Um, although in one way or another, these are conversations that we have all the time because we're asking, you know, how do you navigate being catcalled in the street? And did you think that that guy was being inappropriate? And when you're having those kinds of conversations, it's like an implicit part of the conversation that this woman's catcalled and not that one, um, which can be awkward or weird. But you don't often get to say, is it hard for you that like women are jealous of you? Um, because usually the object, the subject of these conversations is like the male appetite for women's beauty, not the way that women respond to it. And it's interesting thinking about um, the two movies. Barbie is surrounded by other women, but they they don't compare to her in terms of conventional beauty. Whereas there is another woman in in contempt, an Italian woman who actually, in my mind, is more beautiful than than Bardot. Yeah. Um, and they seem to be in a kind of competition. Yeah. Yeah. And it, there, there are, Barbie is certainly not the kind of movie that can consider female competition, like the intra female competition. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a liberal conception of beauty in Barbie because she's surrounded by, and I have to be careful here. Otherwise I'll, I'll get thrown off the air. Women who aren't at least conventionally beautiful, they're, they're, they're shapes of their bodies or their faces, shall we say. I really don't agree with that, <laughs> but okay. Well, shall we say fat women? Okay. That's it. I'm. I'm. Am I banned forever? I don't know. <laughs> I might ban you forever. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I, well, I mean, it's it, it, it certainly. I mean, it's a movie of our times, Barbie. Right. I mean, it's. It's. I mean, that's what you don't like about it. Is it's. It. It wears its ideology on its sleeve or on its face. It's not very sophisticated. Is that true that the women in the Barbie world are? I feel like they're all. They look like Stepford wives. No, yeah. I mean, with no. Okay. Well, let's let's move on. Let's pretend we didn't have that conversation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I must have been controlled by someone else to say that. Um, <laughs> wow. So. Uh, watch it again. Yeah. So so coming back to women on beauty, I mean, I guess the maybe I'm again getting myself into trouble here, but. I always assume that privately women would be less competitive on the beauty front than men. Do you think that's true? Oh, are men competitive with one another? Well, I think men are, if, if they fall into the category that you suggested at first, if they're all animals trying to go to bed with, with Brigitte Bardot, they're very competitive with one another. They, they want to be the one to land Bardot. As, as in the movie Contempt, where the two men loathed each other. That's interesting. I had never thought about that. Um, I definitely don't think that all men are monsters who are just trying to land Bardot. I don't want to be on record as like a man-hating female. Um, but I, I definitely do. Th I would have thought that women are much more competitive with one another than men are. But is it a sort of a sophisticated competition of saying, oh, you're more beautiful than I am and not meaning it? No, no. <laughs> well, that's what Connolly sort of investigates in a way. No, no, no. And she doesn't she find it, but she suggests it's. I didn't find that from the piece. I mean, I thought that she was, I didn't find that at all. I think she was like, I mean, maybe you have to like be a woman to be able to decode what she's saying. But I, I thought what she was saying was that because we're all so competitive with one another, we don't get to like acknowledge that 
like in an environment in which there is a woman who is more beautiful than you, you feel outshone by her in a way that makes it really hard for you to talk to her about what that's like. Mm. Uh, that's what I thought she was saying. And I do think that, you know, women are really competitive. You know, you absolutely like, um, Dexter Filkins, the writer who's a friend of mine, once told me that, like, whenever a man walks into a room, the thing he is trying to figure out is if he can beat up everybody else in that room, um, which, like, really changed the way that I look about look at the world. Um, every time a woman walks into a room, she's trying to figure out if she's the most beautiful woman in the room. Is that what you think? Yeah. And men walk in saying they want to, they can beat I don't know if I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. That's what Dexter said. I'm definitely, he's going to kill me for saying this, but that's what he told me. I have to get him on the show to talk about that. It's interesting. Yeah, go for it. So what was the conclusion of of the Connolly piece, do you think? Well, I mean, it's about the, it's a substack that's about a piece that she hasn't written. And so it's really just... Well, it got spiked, right? Did it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Look at that. It got spiked. Um, I told a little myth or sort of half myth that that I hope that she writes it. I hope that she finishes it because I really would love to read a full piece about that. And I mean, I hope she she should do it for us, but I will discuss that with her separately. I, I, I think that the point of the piece was really just to say, Hey, like I'm musing about this because I don't really have an opportunity to talk about this. And this is something that this is like often what Rachel does on her Substack, which is great. Um, and one should subscribe if one has not yet um, is like using the Substack as a place to say, we don't get to talk about X or we talk about X in an insincere and stupid way. Or um, this is a thought that I'm having about the way that the discourse is held um it's not supposed to be she really does leave like her longer and fuller pieces to be edited by you know publications which she's written for many publications um it's a different style of writing from the kinds that she's done elsewhere Um, so it's really just kind of like listening in on the thoughts in her head i thought it was fascinating because as i say like i had just read this piece by becca and i've been thinking about this because of the Barbie movie and because of con- the re-release, the recut of Contempt, um, I do think that we just, I think that we think about female beauty in a way that is um, more complicated than we often have opportunity to express. And I think that Rachel's substack was sort of gesturing yeah. towards And that. I wonder whether the same complicated conversation argument debate we're having about meritocracy is also true of beauty mm. and maybe a mean? subject for another for people watching this they can see that behind celeste uh, some of her own art uh, isabel hubert okay. uh, clearly she um is a big ad- admirer of um one of the things that occurred to me um celeste is that you you're writing a book about uh uh david uh sutin Chaim, Chaim sutin uh Chaim sutin the uh, uh turn of the century uh russian artist a uh, belarusian jewish when i think of his woman in blue and then i looked at the image of um Bardot, certainly on the wall street journal one of the the stills 
And then Vermeer's Woman in Blue. There seems to be mm. a lot of similarity. Uh, you're an art historian. Make sense of all that. And explain also your own particular interest in not just looking at female beauty, but painting it yourself. So interesting that you would put that you would put Soutine, Bridget Bardot, and Vermeer next to each other and say that there's a lot of similarity. Well, look at those three. They're all in blue. They're all beautiful women. Maybe I'm not being very... No, but put Soutine back. But there's something in it. Put Soutine back. Can you put it back on the screen? Right. And for people listening, we have an image of a, of a woman in blue. Do you think that that's beautiful? Well, I think it conforms to your notion of beauty. No, it does not. I don't it think doesn't? it doesn't. What do you think it is? I mean, describe that painting of a woman in blue to our audio audience who can't see it's it. It's agitated. It's very dark. Um, the skin tones are like there is no flesh tone. He's made he's made the the, the, sh the parts of the body that should be flesh colored are um, blues and greens. And there are some oranges, but not in a way that is like at all human like. Um, and if you see the paint, the painting is at the Barnes Museum in Philadelphia. If you see it in person, you can feel that he must have painted it with a lot of energy because the, the motions of the brush, you can still see like where he moved them. He didn't he didn't go over like very different from a Vermeer where you can't see any of the brush strokes. You can see all of the brush strokes here. Um, the Vermeer is very soft. The light is very gentle. Um, the woman is holding a slip of paper and you can see that the white of her hands is a different from the white is a different shade than the white of the paper, which is different from the white on her collar. Um, the way that the light is diffused throughout the room is very different from the way that the light is absent, really, from the Soutine um, painting. These are very different conceptions of what painting is supposed to be. Um, I don't think that the Vermeer is a meditation on female beauty. I don't think that the Soutine is a meditation on female beauty, although both of them are of women. Um, they are not about female beauty. Um, I don't know if I would say that my paintings are about female beauty. I think that probably, probably more than the ones we just looked at. Yeah, they probably are. I mean, what is it about Hubert that fascinates you so much? My next essay is exactly about that because I was trying to figure out what it is about Huppert that fascinates me so much. Um, I think that there is, there is an aura about her which actually is not explicable just by a description of physical features. I think that she is extremely sexy and um startling in a way that like if it wasn't her soul in that body with that face you like would not look twice at her um not that she's ugly she's kind of like a few rungs above plain um but she's not arresting in the way that i mean she actually is arresting but she's not physically arresting except insofar as she is incredibly um charismatic and kind of bizarre um so i i'm i'm interested in that uh i'm interested in her the intensity of her energy and the peculiar like dark quality of it uh they're all uh paintings that we we, we need to answer less but I'm, I'm curious i just read uh reread susan sontag's book on photography and 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 this image of bardot which is one of the the most familiar ones a still from the movie does present a 
in a in a kind of almost a, a maybe I'm obsessed with 17th century Dutch art, but in a in a in a, in a, a realist sense. But it, it looks like art rather than photography. Mm. Um, perhaps we might end on this with the issue of art and photography and beauty, movies, and all the rest of it. Yeah, I'm. I agree with you. I think that that still is art. And I think that that's a, that's attributable to the talent of the of the person who was filming the movie, and to Godard also, who was you know framing the shots. 